Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Good morning, friends. It is such a joy to be together on this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday morning, to share with you the message that has forever changed and shaped the world, that Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And though these are extraordinary circumstances that we are gathering in, I am so grateful to be together. And now, what if I told you that this in some way has happened before? An Easter in lockdown. And Easter in a quarantine of sorts. Now, the first disciples were not hiding from a global pandemic, not trying to quarantine themselves off and shelter in place. Rather, they were hiding behind locked doors on the first Resurrection Sunday because they were in fear of what the local uh, governor and what the local people might want to do to them. You see, their leader, Jesus of Nazareth, had been crucified. And on his cross, the local governor, a man named Pontius Pilate, had nailed a sign to the cross that said, Here is Jesus, King of the Jews. Now this sign wasn't meant to honor Jesus. It was meant to mock him and to mock the Jewish people. And and Jesus, as he was crucified, was crucified for being a political opponent of Rome. Now, the Romans often dealt with their political opponents with a severe and swift brutality. And the disciples, who had been uh, followers of Jesus for several years now, are beginning to worry that they might be next. You see, the Romans were sometimes content to kill the leader of a movement and to let the followers disperse from there. But other times they would round up those who remained. And so the disciples are hidden away in fear. They're also in fear of the Jewish people who had handed Jesus over to Pilate. The Jewish people had accused Jesus of being a blasphemer. And the disciples who had been following this now accursed and accused blasphemer were not in a safe place as it pertained to the people who were local authorities in Jerusalem. And so they had hidden themselves away. Now, I don't want you to miss this. A group of people behind locked doors, anxious about what both the present and the future may hold. Does this sound familiar? As we encounter this Easter, we want to move from a place of unbelief that comes from fear and doubt to a place of wonder that comes from joy and awe at the resurrection story. And we'll see in our story this morning from Luke 24 that Jesus is inviting us to this kind of wonder, that he's inviting us to behold the story and to behold that he makes all things new. This morning, we want to immerse ourselves in the resurrection story of Jesus. And in doing so, we want to come behind the locked doors where Jesus meets his disciples on that first resurrection Sunday. So I invite you, if you have your Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 24 with me. Uh, I'm going to read through a whole section of the story, and then we're going to start unpacking it in the middle of the story. But let's turn over there together. It says, beginning in verse 36, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you frightened? 
Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. So now here we see this kind of unfolding of the disciples' response to the risen Jesus. At first, they are terrified. They think that they're seeing a ghost. And when the disciples see the risen Jesus, they immediately jump to a ghost story. They are afraid, and they're also filled with doubt. Now, you may have your own sense of skepticism this morning. You may have your own feeling that the resurrection story of Jesus is just kind of a cute mythic ghost story. And and so quickly, I want to invite you this morning to point out that Jesus, first of all, he doesn't shy away from our doubts. Look at in the text, he invites the disciples to touch the, the nail-scarred hands. He invites them to touch and to see. And Jesus doesn't shy away from our doubts still today. He moves towards them and he offers us his very presence. But for those of you this morning who may be saying it is completely scientifically and historically implausible for anybody to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I simply want to point out a couple of things historically that make it not a certainty, but at least not outside the realm of plausibility that exactly what we celebrate and what we claim on this Easter Sunday morning is with well within the realm of historical plausibility. A, a couple of things that may be helpful for us. First, it is clear historically that something happened. Something happened that changed the course of the world forever. No one disputes that the church began in Jerusalem shortly after Jesus' death. The crucifixion of Jesus is is well attested both in the Bible and in historical literature from the time. Jesus was executed by the Romans, as we talked about, for the official reason of claiming a rival kingdom. Uh, Though if you read the Gospel of John, you you keep seeing Pilate saying that he finds no reason for basis for accusing Jesus. Jesus was turned over to the Romans by his Jewish countrymen and women who who accused him of blasphemy. And blasphemy is is claiming some sort of equal status with God, or it's, it's demeaning the name of God. And the Jewish people of Jesus' day were fiercely monotheistic. This is one of the troubles that Jesus runs into throughout his life. He keeps claiming to be uh, somehow equal with God, and the Jewish people are saying there's only one God. The Jewish daily prayer, the Shema, reminds people daily that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So for Jesus to claim that he in some way is the God of Israel manifest in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, and for other Jews, which is what what begins to happen at the beginning of the church, to begin to acknowledge him as such is at least a strong indicator that something from their experience has given them a profound reason to completely change course. You see, the first Christians were Jews that were gathered to celebrate a Jewish festival. And you see this in Acts chapter 2. But the, the first disciples, people like Peter and James and John, were faithful Israelites. They were people who believed in the one God 
that was, that was celebrated and was witnessed to throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And so for them to start saying that Jesus was in some way equal to this God, that was in some way manifesting this God in the flesh, something profound in their experience must have transpired. And look here in Luke chapter 24. The first thing that Jesus does is he walks them through the scriptures and shows them that this was the story that was unfolding all along. Look at what it says in verse 44. He says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then it says in verse 45, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus is connecting the work that he has done on the cross and in the resurrection with the story of Israel that has been unfolding since the promises given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so the first thing that helps us to see that the resurrection is at least historically plausible is for faithful Jews who were strict monotheists to begin to say that Jesus is the Son of God, to begin to celebrate the reality of the Holy Spirit, to begin to declare in some some um, very mysterious way that there is a triune God that is at both times three and one. For, for that to begin to happen, it's at least historically plausible to hypothesize that something in their experience has profoundly changed. Now, the second kind of witness to the resurrection, the Apostle Paul. Paul is perhaps the best example of this kind of change. You see, Paul, as we see in the beginning of Acts, is an ardent and vigorous persecutor of the church because he thinks that the people who are claiming that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God are themselves blaspheming. He stands by as Stephen, the first martyr, is stoned to death in Acts chapter 6. He goes on missions to arrest Christians under Jewish law and is, is, is consistent in his thinking that these people who follow Jesus are completely uh, bringing shame upon the nation. But then in Acts chapter 9, Paul has a complete and utter reversal of course. Now what would cause this person, who is an ardent and vigorous persecutor of the church, to completely change his mind, to completely change his values and his belief system all in a moment. Well, perhaps it is as the text says in Acts chapter 9 that Paul, Saul at that time, really saw the risen Messiah. So the second kind of evidence, and these are not all-encompassing, but these are just clues that the resurrection may not be as crazy as you may initially think it may be. The third thing, the location of Jesus' tomb was well known in that culture and in that geography, local to Jerusalem there. It was owned by a member of the Sanhedrin, the local religious ruling council, a man named Joseph of Arimathea. The Romans could have very easily produced the body of Jesus if they had it. They had set out sentries and soldiers to guard the tomb, and Joseph of Arimathea could have been questioned about the whole thing. Now the story becomes that the disciples have stolen the body. But isn't it interesting that if the disciples had formed this clandestine uh, conspiracy to betray and, and lie to the whole world, 
Each of the disciples traditionally was killed and martyred very violently. They were killed in all sorts of ways. Peter was historically crucified upside down. Don't you think if they had made it all up, that like the seventh or the eighth guy would have said, you know what, you caught us, we made it all up. But none of them recanted. None of them renounced their claim that Jesus was resurrected and risen from the dead. And so it's at least plausible to suggest that the disciples had truly seen something that, that changed the world and that they, they would never let go of. Fourth, James, the brother of Jesus, becomes one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Now, imagine if your brother came to you and told you that he was God. Imagine if your sister claimed divinity. How would you respond to that? Well, throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus' family is having a lot of trouble with the life that he is living and with the claims that he is making. But after Jesus' death, James changes his tone and believes that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Now, why would that be? Perhaps it is, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus had appeared to him following his death. You see, friends, I get it. If you have questions or you're skeptical, this evidence does not finally settle the matter. But I hope that it at least puts it in the realm of possibility for you, within the realm of plausibility. Because historically, we have to ask the questions that history asks. And history is asking us, well, what happened here? And the best explanation that we can come up with is perhaps exactly what the first Christians claimed, that they had seen Jesus risen and alive, and that he came and did things like share meals with them, is the best explanation. Now, as Jesus comes to them, he is meeting them in their fear and in their doubt. He is extending his hands, his nail-scarred hands, and saying, put your hands here. And I want you to notice what he says to them as he steps into their midst. Remember, this is a moment filled with profound anxiety and despair. This is a moment filled with immense uncertainty. And Jesus, the resurrected Lord, steps onto the scene and he says to them, Peace. Peace be with you. Peace is the first word of the new world. And this is the word that heaven has to say to earth. And this is the word that we need now more than ever. I don't know about you, but this has been a hard couple weeks for me. I think some combination of the accumulating effects of digital church, of just missing people, some of the wider angle stories that, you know, talk about the doom that is unfolding in the world, they really weigh on me very heavily. And it's in this heavy kind of moment that the disciples are experienced that Jesus comes, he stands in the midst, and he says to us, peace. Now this peace is not some kind of serenity, not just a mindfulness where I'm undisturbed by the events of the world. Easter is a call to a peace grounded not in denial, but in joyful defiance. 
Jesus tells the disciples in verse 39, look at the nails in my hands and in my feet. He's inviting them to see his scars. And just two days before he was nailed to a cross, he shed his blood to bear the weight of the sins of the world. And now he stands in their midst, not as an illusion or as an ideal, but as the resurrected king of the world, the one who has not denied the grave, but who has overcome the grave. And we need this kind of peace now more than ever. A peace that overcomes the world. A peace that surpasses all understanding is not just a good feeling, but it's as real as the nails that were put into the hands of Jesus. And friends, if you're feeling like God looks at you, with shame or or that he is ignoring you and ignoring your questions or is he, that he is angry with you can you hear the words of the resurrected Jesus on this Easter Sunday morning can you hear the first words of the new world that Jesus is saying to you standing in your midst in all of your anxiety in your despair in all of your uncertainty Jesus is saying to you and to me peace be with you And it says in verse 41, And while they still did not believe, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? I love this so much. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And this is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day, verse 47, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to them, You are my witnesses. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city till you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, I I love in this story, And this is my hope for us today, Ecclesia, how the disciples move from a place of unbelief out of fear and doubt to a place of almost awestruck amazement out of joy and wonder. I also love that Jesus asks for some fish. I just love the picture of them like staring at him in disbelief, awestruck. They're like, is this really Jesus standing in our midst? And he says, hey, you guys got anything to eat? Notice how Jesus embraces the questions that they have. He offers them his hands and his feet, and he sits down to a meal with them. Ecclesia, if you are not sure what to think here this morning, or you just need a fresh word of Easter hope, I am believing that you have a fresh manifestation of Jesus sitting down to eat with you right in the confines of your house, right where you are quarantined, that Jesus is meeting you where you are, that just as he came through the locked doors of those first disciples, that he is coming through the locked doors of our houses, and he is saying to us today, this morning, peace be with you, Christ is risen, Jesus is alive forevermore. For all of us, Jesus has spoken a new word over our locked doors, over our anxiety and our fear. He is alive. Hope is not just an idea, but our resurrected Lord who steps out of the grave and steps in our midst and shares a meal with us. And friends, in this moment, We need this word now more than ever. Our world is aching for this word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison, locked away in a prison cell on Easter of 1942. 
And he said, only from the resurrection of Christ can a new and purifying wind blow through our present world. In verse 47, Jesus said, the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And friends, in this moment, we receive this beautiful gospel that the Messiah suffered and died, that he offered us a different way, a way other than our own, and that he is proclaiming this truth to all nations. And I don't know about you, but I need this fresh wind, this fresh word, this Easter hope to blow through my locked doors, to blow through my life. And Jesus just says, all we have to do is receive and believe this beautiful truth. That Jesus has come and he stands in our midst. And it is not just a truth that is for us. It is a truth that is for the whole world. And I know for me and in my life and in my house, I need this Easter word now more than ever. That hope is alive. Jesus is alive. That there is a new world being brought to bear right in the midst of this one. And so Jesus, as he's standing in the midst of his disciples invites them to a new way of seeing, to a new dawn of a new creation. And friends, on this Easter Sunday morning, we tune our eyes, we, we tune our hearts, we move from a disbelief based in fear and in doubt to an awestruck wonder based in joy and amazement. We put our doubts and our fears at the feet of Jesus and we find that we can take heart in him because he has overcome the world. And friends, for us this morning, if you've been aching for hope, if you've been aching for newness, it's only the resurrection of Christ. It's only repenting of our ways, of the ways of the old world and receiving the beautiful truth of this King Jesus, of his risen reality. And so friends, if for the first time you're saying here and you're, you're, you're like, this isn't that implausible, then maybe this story is true. If your hope is, is almost outrunning your thinking and you're just like, I want this to be true. Would you just receive it here this morning? That burning in your life, that burning in your heart is your spirit testifying with Christ's spirit saying, I love you. I am for you. That word of peace that I spoke to those first disciples, I still speak to all who follow me. I still come and move into the midst of their fear and despair and I bring my peace. And friends, this morning, I get to proclaim the most beautiful message in the history of the world, that Jesus is alive and that he loves you and that he died for you and that all we have to do is receive this incredible truth and receive the life of this new world. So if that's you this morning, I'm just going to invite you. My email is ian at ecclesiaNJ.com. I'm going to challenge you just to send me a quick email and just say, hey, I, I've never prayed that prayer before. I've never been in that place before where I actually believe this. Just send me an email. I'd be so honored to hear your story and to reach out to you. And friends, this morning, no matter where you're coming from, I pray that this fresh word, this fresh wind of Jesus alive now and forevermore,
is blowing a new wind of hope through our lives. It's creating a, a, an urgency of faith, an urgency for God to move in our world even as we're locked away in our homes because we have hope. Jesus wasn't locked away in a tomb. He broke through the empty tomb with the power of his all-consuming love. And he still breaks through every wall, every barrier, and he comes to us and he stands in our midst and he says to us, peace. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray. Lord, I pray in faith, God, as we proclaim these words, that there are people that are hearing them and they are falling on them for the first time in a way that they've never experienced before, that they believe that this is true. They believe that this word, this story is for them. And God, as I pray, I, I just pray that they would join me in just simply saying, welcome into my heart. God, welcome your spirit. Welcome your presence. God, welcome your peace. And that just simply by an act of faith, we receive that story in, in wonder and in amazement and in joy that this story is for us. And for all of us who faithfully walk with Jesus, who just need a fresh word, God, who need a new blowing of the wind of your spirit, God. Lord, I pray that in this Easter moment, God, that you are doing a new thing, God, that you are shaping us more in the image of your spirit, God, more in the image of your truth. Lord Jesus, and we rejoice together that Jesus is alive. He is king of the world and that he is bringing to life everything around us. Jesus, we ask and we pray and we believe and we rejoice in your Easter truth. We ask them all in your name. In the name of the resurrected King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.